with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about Chinese financial regulators say they will continue to support and maintain economic stability in the country, and Chinese EV makers target more European sales. And now, let's begin with our top story. Chinese financial regulators say they will continue to support and maintain the economic stability in the country. The central bank governor Yi Gang addressed the Financial Street Forum in Beijing earlier this week. He said the country's macroeconomic policies have stabilized the economy and prices among the high global inflation. So how can the financial industry keep playing a supporting role to the real economy? And what are implications of China's financial market opening up? For more on this, join us on the line now are Yan Liang, Professor of Economics and International Studies at Vietnam University, Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Yan, first of all, can you tell us about the overall goal of this year's forum and why is it so important for establishing China's financial policy? Um, thank you for inviting me.、Um, so this year, the Financial Street Forum's general theme is forging ahead toward a shared future, economic development, and financial cooperation amid changes. So there are four forums that address various issues such as real economy and financial services, global market and financial growth,、um, fintech and the digital economy, and last but not least, the governance system and financial stability.、Um, so this forum is a very important guidepost. For policymaking,、um, a great regulatory、uh, release portal and interactive platform、uh, between the financial sector and the real econo-、uh, the economic sectors, and also it provides the opportunity for international financial exchanges and cooperation. So, as we all know,、um, now the global economy is facing various challenges,、um, from inflation to the war to now the looming recessions, as you know, partly the result of policy rate hikes in the developed countries. So I think it's all the more important that we're going to utilize finance as a way to mobilize resources, to allocate resources, and also to improve、uh, financial regulations to maintain stability and resilience.、Mm, Dan, so a lot of topics were discussed during this year's forum. So, what impressed you most about the forum?、Uh, what impressed me most is the conservative stance and the robust monetary policy that were talked about in the forum. Um, because we have been been this economic downturn for a while now, and the main theme in this forum was still about financial stability and to prevent the systematic financial risks in the system、uh, when it's related with housing markets. So there were talks about easing monetary policy、uh, to provide more liquidity to the real economy. And in the months to come, we'll see more measures in that front.、Mm. So, Aina, so what are the implications of、uh, China's financial market opening up? What does it mean for both the domestic and overseas investors? Well, China is still pursuing its uh, dual uh, economy uh, strategy, which is、uh, based on at-home consumption and、uh, overseas、uh, trying to bring more investment in. But it's not just investment,、uh, you know, for anything.、Uh, they wanted to look at the, the current deficits, especially in technology, where geopolitical rivalry with the U.S. 
is causing uh, you know real problems in China because the U.S. has basically said we're going to try to prevent you from having access to chips. That, that part of the global supply chain has now, in effect, uh, been ended. So China is trying to attract uh, overseas investment, not only for just the monetary side, but they're also looking for uh, intellectual property uh, for companies that see the vast potential of China's market and want to uh, put some put their uh, you know their eggs in this basket, and hopefully it will work out. Um, obviously, uh, the domestic side is a lot of that's going to depend. Uh, on the small, medium-sized business enterprises. That is the real heart of China's economy, 90% of new jobs, et cetera. Asset financing has been the past. The future is risk financing. Uh, that's why they're opening up to uh, foreign financial institutions, because they have this experience, and hopefully they believe that this can be brought into the market and taught to other banks. And Yan, so how do you see the financial reform and opening up in China in the past few years? And what can be done to ensure that the financial industry keeps playing a supporting role to the real economy? Yeah, I think that's a great question. What we have seen is really that China is committed to financial opening and trying to mobilize resources and also policy tools um, to develop the financial markets. So we have seen you know, a lot more connections in terms of the bond trading. Um, and uh, this year in June, uh, the government also allowed the qualified foreign institutional investors to directly or indirectly um, invest in the exchange uh, bond market. So there are a lot of, um, you know, sort of um, incentives to facilitate the kind of, you know, financial opening and to introduce the foreign, you know, institutional investors um, that have the deep knowledge and also um, have the market experiences to improve, you know, competition and also market functioning in China. And at the same time, I think it's also interesting to see how a lot of collaborations when it comes to, you know, financial regulations. Um, so one of the things for example, is that the People Banks of China, which is China, the central bank, and the European Commission just jointly um, uh, launched the so-called common ground taxonomy for the green bonds back in November 2021. So I think this is a great um, uh, cooperation in the sense that this would really help to improve China's green bonds market to unify the standards, you know, what counts as green bonds and what are not. And so I think there are a lot of these corporations, not only, you know, at the private sector in terms of the financial markets opening, but also um, on the regulatory front. Mm. So then what do you think about China's uh, green bond market? Actually, figures show that the country's green bond issuance jumped over 170 percent last year. So could you tell us more about that? Why is this booming? Um, China's green bond market is the largest onshore bond market in the world, and it is expanding extremely fast. Uh, one big push is from the policy front because we have this hard constraint of reaching the decarbonization goals by 2030 and by 2060. Uh, and under that initiative, uh, policy banks, commercial banks, companies are all piling up in their efforts. Uh, we have seen that the bank's portfolio have already shifted to the green industry and green products. And the bond market has become this one most important financial uh, destination for a lot of the capital onshore. So mm -hmm. going forward, we can see more investment and more interest in the area such as a solar industry, wind industry, and also the supply chain along the new energy vehicles. Mm. And so then you do a lot of research on the green financing and green investment. So what's the current situation and what are the areas that China is in lead compared to other countries? 
An, an interesting trend emerged after COVID has started. Uh, the emerging markets, including China, Brazil, and India, have all increased their investment in renewable energy, while that in the U.S. and the European countries have seen that decline. Um, part of the reason was, of course, because of the, COVID, uh, of the energy crisis happening this year. But even before this year, this trend already had signs of emerging. And that has shown the different level of commitment and the constraint that different countries have been facing. And for China, the green transition is not just about uh, protecting the environment or ecological diversity. It is also about establishing this new uh, industrial landscape that will lay the foundation for its growth in the, in the coming 20 years. Mm. Uh, for the area that China has the most advantage right now, there's a consensus in the industry, definitely solar and other green-related uh, technology, um, including wind, but it's, it's not at, at uh, advantageous uh, position as the solar. And also the power battery industry. China has an absolutely monopolistic power in the global market. And Yan, so this year the yuan has actually depreciated against the U.S. dollar, but less than other major currencies have. So how do you explain that? And what does it mean for the China's economy? Yeah, so I think the reason that uh, yuan has depreciated against the U.S. dollar, and by the way, I think many currencies have also depreciated against dollar, and that has largely to do with uh, one that the Fed has been raising interest rates and ha having shaping the, the sort of the expectations about continue to raise the interest rates. So there's definitely that um, interest rate arbitrage opportunities for uh, many investors to you know invest in the dollar and drive up the demand for dollar, uh, which then depreciates the yuan and other currencies. And also, I think when the world is in such a high uncertainty period, there is a flight to quality. So there's more um, sort of demand for so the so-called safe assets, right, which is the U.S. dollar and dollar-denominated um, assets. Um, but in general, I think China's economy is still having great prospect. Um, when you look at, for example, export, um, in the first eight months of this year, we have exported about two over $2 trillion. And FDI in the first eight months also have gone up by 20% compared to last year. Um, so I think in general, there is still a high demand for the Chinese yuan and the Chinese assets. And so that's why it bolster, you know, the, the, the currency value. Um, so I think, you know, going forward, I, I think as Wang Dan pointed out, um, China will, you know, largely implement the prudent monetary policy, which means we probably won't lower the interest rate, uh, you know, to stimulate the economy, nor do we trying to raise the interest rate to somehow uh, measure up with the, the Fed's policy, um, because China has its own unique challenges and needs. So I think, um, you know, what would be helpful um, is to to maintain that currency value stability, not to depreciate too much or appreciate too much. And I think China is doing a great job right now. Mm, so then, so how do you see the progress of the uh, UN's internationalization? How does it benefit China and the rest of the world? Um, UN's internationalization has been slowly uh, picking up pace uh, for obvious reasons, because there are more countries actually depending on China for its export. China's position in the global supply chain has been strengthened after COVID rather than weakened. So there are a lot of benefits to be had uh, if more countries are switching to a more yuan-dominated uh, system. Um, and there are also a lot of efforts on China front. 
uh, in terms of overseas investment, usually it would uh, Chinese companies would raise funds in euro or in dollar. But over time, it has its limitations. Um, with the U.S. increasing sanction to a lot more countries in the world, it is also getting harder to invest in projects in those areas. Uh, we have seen that uh, the capital account control um, being a bit tightened uh, since the COVID has started for good reason, um, because there's the financial stability um, that uh, the Chinese government has to defend. And so, Yan, so how do you see the yuan's internationalization? And China has also launched its uh, digital currency, the digital yuan, in the year 2019, right? That's correct. Um, so I would say that the digitalization um, of the currency is helpful for the so-called internationalization of yuan because it helps to facilitate and reduce the transaction cost of the cross-border payment. Um, so once that digital infrastructure is built up, including you know, the digital currency system, the current system, uh, then we greatly facilitate the uses of the Chinese uh, currency, right? Not only in terms of trade settlements, but also in terms of investments abroad um, under the you know, gamut of uh, Belt and Road or the Global Development Initiative. Um, so I think that would be helpful. And Yen, so the stock market is also a hot topic at this year's uh, forum. The Beijing Stock Exchange Benchmark Index, also known as the uh, BSE 50 Index, was launched earlier this week. So how important is that and why is it now? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a great question. I think what is important about this is that, you know, this uh, Beijing Stock Exchange is really targeted at the M uh, MSM companies. So the, the micro size, the medium and small size firms. So, so far there, there have been, you know, 123 uh, companies that are listed on this exchange and they raise about um, just a slightly lower than $4 billion of funds. And most of these firms, over you know three quarters of them are medium and small companies, and over eighty percent of them are private enterprises. So what it means is that you know China is really trying to the government is really trying to lend the support um, to the small and medium sized and private companies, and also the very specialized innovative you know companies. Um, so you know this is a way to say we wanted to give more support to the small and medium sized companies, which increasingly become you know the backbone of the economy and yet they're under a lot of stress because of you know COVID lockdowns and so on and so forth. Um, so I think the timing is important, um, not only you know helping these companies to get access to funds, but also send a very important signal that you know the Chinese economy is going to let the private sector, let the market uh, play a more decisive role. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics and International Studies, Willamette University, Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at Chinese EV makers target more European sales. Stay with us. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. 
Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Chinese EV makers have set their eyes on winning over the European markets with more affordable cars. In the last few months, several Chinese EVs have received the five-star European New Car Assessment Program ratings. So then, first of all, Chinese EV makers like Neo, like Xiaopeng, they are all speeding up their exploration of the European markets. So what do you make of that? And why have they set their eyes on the European market? So the European market is the most lucrative market for EV right now. Um, there is an appetite from across the board in all countries, and climate change is the number one political priority on the agenda. So everybody understands that the transition will be fast and there will be a lot more demand for EV. And uh, the European car makers won't have nearly enough capacity to satisfy the market demand. And for Chinese EV makers, um, they have a very high production capacity. They have more advanced technology uh, when it comes to the software that can support EV because we know this industry is powered by software rather than hardware. Um, and there's also a lot of variety of Chinese brands. So it has become very competitive in the last five years when we look at the European market. Mm. So Aina, so what are their strategies in the European market? Do they have any advantage over there? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, first off, they've been approaching the market in the right way, uh, getting these, uh, making sure that they put safety first. Uh, also, bringing uh, fully equipped cars at less expensive costs. I mean, the, the reality is that we're in the midst of, uh, you know, very, very difficult financial times, but there are still uh, regulatory uh, green uh, goals that these companies have to meet. China fits that niche, and they're moving rapidly into the fleet market. Um, and, you know, you, you can see it uh, just from the statistics. It's gone from, you know, it's basically doubling within the last year. Mm. And so, yeah, so do you think they have any advantages over there in the European market and what challenges are they facing? Yeah, absolutely. I do think that they have a lot of advantages. Uh, one has to do with the safety features. Um, so many of the Chinese EVs recently has received the five stars of the European New Car Assessment Program ratings. And this is the top ratings when it comes to um, their safety. So that I think it's really giving them a lot of, you know, uh, advantages. And second is I think they're really innovative. They're having coming up with all kinds of novel um, features in their cars. Um, so one example is um, the so-called Funky Cat, which is a brand um, of the Great Wall Motors. And so they have put in a lot of interesting features like facial recognition to uh, keep your seating preferences. And there is the uh, you know driver assistance system, the wireless phone charging systems. I mean, who wouldn't like these kinds of cars, right? Um, and finally, I think that the prices have been very competitive as the previous two um, colleagues have talked about. 
Um, so Funky Car, for example, is sold at $36,000 in uh, the Great Britain, uh, which is uh, you know, quite cheap when it compared to you know other companies' cars like Volkswagen's um, ID three. So I think these three things, right, the the safety uh, features, the uh, novel you know features in the cars, and also the competitive prices are really helping um, these EVs to have a you know strong foothold in the European markets. And when it comes to I think challenges, um, I think as Wang Dan talked about, the market has been very competitive, um, and Chinese vehicles also need to establish the brand names. Uh, right now, I think some of the cars like um, MG with the Shanghai uh, Automotive Industry Corporation and also uh, Geely's Polestar, these two brands seem to be uh, pretty uh, popular in the market. Um, but there are others like you mentioned, Neo and Xiaopeng, I think thus far have been quite struggling to get a really m impactful um, establishment in the market. So I think, you know, having a a good brand, right? Have the good brand name is very important um, to be able to, you know, continue to thrive in those markets. Mm. And yeah, so business insiders perceive the EV revolution as a big opportunity for China to build a strong domestic auto brand. So what's your take and what has been driving the competitiveness of the China's EV industry in the past few years? Yeah, I absolutely think EV is very important um, for the auto industry going forward. And auto industry is also so important um, for, you know, industrial upgrading um, and so on for the economic growth and consumer demand in the future. So I do think this this industry really holds the future um, for the automotive uh, industry. Uh, when it comes to China's advantages, again, I think there is a very great synergy between the, the public and the private efforts. Um, you know, starting from 2009, the Chinese government has started to provide, you know, generous subsidies um, for the EV purchases. And so, um, you know, since then, the central government has given, you know, a close to about $94 billion on EV subsidies. And then local governments also supplementing $47 billion um, to that amount. So there's a lot of public support in developing the EV markets. But also at the same time, the private sector has been really all in in their efforts in developing, you know, these um, EVs. So we have many, you know, sort of um, very innovative companies. Um, so like Geely, like um, uh, a couple other ones, um, uh, Great Wall Motors, as I, I mentioned, iways mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, and so there's been a really all in efforts um, and they have been producing uh, you know, building this very complete supply chain, you know, working with their Asian other partners. So I think all of these really make China's EV uh, industry stand out um, to be very competitive. Mm. And then so China also has the world largest EV battery manufacturing capacity. We know that the EV battery supply chains, the value chains are well established in China, but North America and Europe remain to, you know, the big growth markets. And these two regions are also investing more to build up their uh, capacity. So can China maintain its lead in the EV battery production? Uh, I believe so. It is very hard to challenge. China's position in the global power battery industry. Um, it, has, uh, it has been established that China basically has the best companies. Of the top 10 power, uh, power battery factories in the world, uh, six of them are from China. We know the successful story of CATL. It's not just about technology and production. It's also about how to produce that on a mass scale. Uh, it is extremely difficult for any European countries to catch up at this point. 
Uh, and on top of that, those companies in China are also developing their software supporting system and using Internet technology to uh, make uh, all parts, all the auto parts, more compatible. So that is a totally different customer experience. And I don't think that um, uh, Chinese EV makers have a lot to worry when it comes to their market share globally. Mm. So, yeah, so are China's EV battery value and supply chains resilient enough to withstand the price and supply chain disruptions? And what do you think is the outlook for China's EV development? Yeah, I do think there is sort of volatile um, markets for metals could pose some sort of risks for China's uh, EV batteries productions. That said, I do think that, first of all, China does have a lot of, um, you know, its own, uh, you know, sort of metal reserves. Um, and also, they're able to be very innovative. I think, you know, one dimension like a CATL, um, which is now, you know, the largest battery makers. And so they have been really innovative in to improve their batteries. So, for example, now they have uh, made great improvements on the new, the so-called keyring battery, which is how you can combine those cells into packs and really boost efficiency. And China's BYD also, um, they have very specialized versions of their batteries. Uh, they market them as the so-called blade. And so this is going to be longer and thinner batteries that are less prone to catch fire and to be severely damaged. So in other words, I think to withstand the kinds of uncertainty and volatility for one is, you know, to be able to work with um, other countries that are um, able to provide, you know, certain metals or certain event, uh, uh, certain supply chain functions, build a kind of international cooperation and collaboration. And at the same time, to keep innovating, right, to to innovate the, the, the technologies in order to use less of certain, you know, uh, vulnerable uh, materials and to improve the efficiency. Mm, so Dan, so what do you think about the outlook for China's EV industry development? Um, China's in EV industry is only at the start of, uh, um, of its long journey. Because now when we look at Chinese EV market share in Europe, it's about 10%. And this is already a big improvement uh, from what Chinese cars uh, market share was uh, in the past. Because in traditional combustion engine cars, China's global market share was practically near zero. So now uh, China is in a good position. And the domestic transition is also taking a pace. Um, it's now getting into the stage that more cars are converting uh, into a hybrid or a pure EV. Mm. Uh, we believe that there will be more policy support for this transition. And for Chinese companies in the upper stream of the industry, they will gain an even bigger market share uh, in the years to come. Mm. Well, we have been speaking with Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, Yan Liang, Professor of Economics and International Studies, Willamette University, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.